Welcome back to Sad Girl Study Guides. As always, I am your host, Amelia, and as always, I'm sad. If you're listening to this tangent cast, thank you so much for financially supporting the podcast. I really appreciate it. Today's tangent cast is going to be about woman in STEM and daughter of Lord Byron, Ada Lovelace. In school, if you learned about Ada Lovelace, she was a computer programmer from the 1800s, which honestly doesn't make any sense, TBH. Her study guide has gambling problems, a tempestuous parental relationship, and flying. Let's begin. Ada Lovelace is born December 10th, 1815, as Augusta Ada Byron. She's the only legitimate child of Lord Byron and his wife, Annabella Milbank. Throughout Annabella's pregnancy, Byron was convinced that she would be a boy, and once Ada was born, he's pretty bummed out about the entire thing. Even before Ada's born, her parents' relationship is a hot mess, in large part because Lord Byron is an abusive piece of shit, and also because he may or may not have been sleeping with his older half-sister, Augusta Lee, who Ada Byron was initially named after. Remember, her real name is Augusta Ada, just everyone calls her Ada. When Ada is just over a month old, on January 16th, 1816, her mother, Annabella, leaves Byron and takes Ada with her. The mother and daughter stay with Annabella's family in Durham and Leicester, and by April, Annabella and Lord Byron are legally separated. Everyone who's anyone in London knows all about Byron's various affairs, including his incestuous relationship with Augusta, and Lord Byron leaves for Europe to avoid the gossip and also to avoid the various debts he's in. Once Byron is in Europe, Ada never sees her father again. Ada is going to spend most of her childhood living with her mother and her mother's parents. Annabella and Ada are not going to have the greatest relationship. They don't really get along all that well, and Annabella is even going to refer to her daughter as it in some letters. That being said, this narrative of Ada hating her mother has mostly been put forth by people who were really pro-Byron because in that time period, a single mother, which technically is what Annabella was, wasn't exactly socially acceptable. Also, Ada did have a tendency to idolize her father. In letters that Ada sent her mother, she did seem to be pretty friendly to her mother, although some of these letters may have been written by a governess. We probably will never know exactly what the relationship between Ada and Annabella was. They probably weren't super chummy, But saying that Annabella was an abusive monster like some people have put forth might be overstating things. When Ada is eight in 1824, her father dies. And this is really going to be the last time that Lord Byron enters Ada's life. She's not even going to see a portrait of her father until she's in her 20s. However, she is decently close to his cousin who's going to take over the title of Lord Byron, and she's going to be close to that cousin's children. She refers to them as her siblings in various letters from her childhood. For most of her childhood, 
Ada Lovelace is going to be pretty sickly. Starting when she's around eight, she gets really severe headaches, most likely migraines. And when she's 14, she falls ill with the measles and becomes paralyzed. For about a year, she's unable to walk. And even then, she's going to only be able to walk with the assistance of crutches. Poor health is going to plague Ada Lovelace for the rest of her life. But Ada's mother, Annabella, is not going to let that stop her daughter's education. Annabella Melbick wants her daughter to be well-educated, and as a result, Ada Lovelace is going to be one of the best educated girls in England. However, Annabella Melbink does not want Ada to be a big reader. She wants Ada to avoid literature so she isn't crazy like her father. Instead, Ada's education is going to be based on math, French, and music. And when it comes to math, Annabella Milbank is kind of an expert. She was so interested in math as a youth that her nickname was the Princess of Parallelograms. Try saying that five times fast. Annabella is going to start tutoring her daughter at the young age of four. And Annabella has super high standards for all of Ada's tutors and keeps firing them. And during the break in tutoring, Annabella is going to take over as instructor for Ada. Ada is going to have a few main tutors who manage to stick around and meet Annabella's high standards. The two most famous ones are a woman named Miss Stamp, who's going to be around for most of Ada's early adolescence, and Mary Somerville, who's going to be Ada's main math tutor and who is a famous female mathematician in her own right. As a result of all of this, Ada Lovelace is going to be really curious as a child. She loves learning, and she's going to be particularly interested in science. When she's around 13, she decides that she wants to build wings so that she can fly. In order to build these wings, she studies birds and ends up writing a little book of her own called Flyology about her attempts, and she does end up building a set of wings slash flying machine, although this machine never quite works. Even though her machine doesn't work, Ada Lovelace really thinks it through. She decides that using a steam engine is going to be the most efficient way of powering this machine, and she makes a design and writes hypotheses. It's really cool. I would definitely not be able to come up with such a machine, either at the age of 13 or now. However, Ada's mother does not approve of the flying machine. She thinks this whole idea is too fanciful, and remember, Annabella Milbank does not want her daughter to have an imagination the way her father had. Even though Ada's flying machine doesn't go anywhere, about 15 years later, when Ada's in her 20s, an actual aerial flying machine that's powered by steam will be invented. However, Ada definitely got there first. Ada's going to spend the rest of her teen years studying, recovering from various illnesses, basically being that cool nerdy girl that everyone's waiting to do something awesome. But all that's going to change when Ada is 18 because she has an affair with one of her male tutors and tries to elope. She does not elope. Instead, the relationship is found out and her mother and her mother's friends put a real end to that. By now, it's pretty clear that Annabella Milbank maybe isn't fully in control of her daughter. Ada needs a husband and fast. So 
She's presented to court and becomes a regular in society by 1833. And at a party on June 5th, 1833, her tutor slash her mother's friend, Mary Somerville, is going to introduce Ada to the man who will change her life. No, not her future husband, a man named Charles Babbage. Charles Babbage is a mathematician who's in his 40s and widowed. As far as we know, there was no romantic interest between the two of them, but there was something more important, an intellectual interest. As it turns out, Charles Babbage has been working on this thing called the difference machine, which could do complex mathematical equations by turning a handle. And Ada loves this idea. At the party, the two hit it off. They spend the entire party in a corner chatting about the machine, and they decide to continue this conversation via letters. Ada and Mary manage to convince Annabella Milbank to let Ada visit Charles Babbage at his home so that she could see the machine in person. Sure, the difference machine hasn't fully been built, but that doesn't even matter to Ada. Just the theoretical idea of it is really exciting. And quickly, the two begin this correspondence. Ada has all sorts of ideas for the difference machine, and she's convinced that math will be the key to unlocking its potential. And Charles Babbage is super impressed. First of all, not that many people can keep up with him intellectually. And the fact that this 17-year-old girl, who's the daughter of one of England's most notorious writers, is one of those rare few, that's even cooler. The two quickly become friends, and Babbage is going to give Ada Lovelace quite a few nicknames, like Lady Fairy and the Enchantress of Numbers. They'll be writing each other regularly until Ada dies, and most of their letters will have to do with math, the difference machine, and a later machine, which I'll get to in a bit. Soon after meeting Charles Babbage, Ada Lovelace formally gets presented into society and very quickly makes a splash. Yes, she is Lord Byron's daughter, but it's more than that. She's also beautiful, has quite the inheritance, and is really smart. Who wouldn't want to get a piece of that action? A year after she's formally presented to society, in 1835, when she's 20 years old, Ada marries William King, the first Earl of Lovelace, which is where she gets her name, Ada Lovelace. In fact, her formal name is going to be Lady Ada King, Countess of Lovelace, so technically calling her Ada Lovelace is incorrect. Her name was never actually Ada Lovelace, but calling her Ada King or Ada Lovelace, none of that quite sounds as nice as Ada Lovelace, so that's why we're calling her Ada Lovelace. Ada and William are going to have three children, Byron, named after her father, who's born in 1836, Annabella, named after Ada's mother, who's born in 1837, and Ralph Gordon, whose name origin I couldn't figure out, who's born in 1839. Annabella's birth is really difficult on Ada. She gets sick after Annabella's born and never quite recovers her physical health. William and Ada are going to have a fairly strong marriage, but there are going to be moments of scandal. The first one involves a tutor. Ada's mother, Annabella Milbank, hires a tutor for Ada's children, William Benjamin Carpenter. 
and William Benjamin Carpenter is extremely handsome. He and Ada quickly start up a flirtation, and he begins bugging her to have an affair. And Ada's like, yeah, no, not going to do that, friendo. I'm married. But she may have had an affair with a different man, John Cross, son of famous scientist Andrew Cross. We don't know for sure if Ada cheated on her husband, William, but rumor has it that she did follow in her father's footsteps, in that way at least. Ada also had a bit of a gambling problem. Much like her father, she was constantly in debt. Later on in her marriage, she tried to write a mathematical model that would allow her to bet large amounts of money successfully, but she never quite perfected that model, so she kept losing money and going deeper and deeper in debt. In one particularly unsuccessful gamble, she lost over 3,000 pounds, which is about 300,000 pounds in 2019 money. That is crazy to lose in a single night. Even though Ada Lovelace is causing a little bit of scandal, what with her love life and her poor money choices, things aren't going all bad. Through her friend and former tutor, Mary Somerville, Ada is moving around in high academic and intellectual society. Mary Somerville introduces her to well-known scientists like the creator of electromagnetism, Michael Faraday, and helps Ada befriend Charles Dickens. Charles Dickens and Ada Lovelace will be so close in their friendship that Dickens will end up reading her a bit of an unpublished novel before she dies. She also may or may not have been friendly with British Prime Minister Benjamin Disraeli, who based one of his characters in a novel off of her. In addition to hanging out with various authors and scientists, Ada Lovelace starts to dabble in various pseudoscientific fads, like the study of phrenology, which is this now-debunked idea that the shape of someone's head could determine their personality. Ada Lovelace thinks it's genius, she thinks there's something there, as it turns out, she was wrong. In addition to phrenology, Ada Lovelace is interested in electricity, magnetism, and music. She's convinced that there's a mathematical link between math and music and starts trying to figure out what that equation would be, but she will die before she can ever write said equation. And then in the 1840s, once she's had her children and has started settling down, she will do the thing that she's the most famous for. Charles Babbage has set aside his difference machine. He's now working on a much more complex analytical engine that's supposed to be able to do very advanced math very quickly and very accurately via a series of punch cards that are very similar to what would end up being early computers. Sure, the analytical engine is never actually built due to funding issues and the fact that it was incredibly complex and basically impossible to build, but there's this idea for it, and it's a really exciting idea, and Ada Lovelace jumps in. She's involved. She wants to help Babbage get this thing built. In fact, she's going to be writing letters trying to raise funds for it. She's going to be translating Babbage's writing from high-minded scientific babble into language that ordinary investors could understand. And the most famous of these 
translations that Ada Lovelace is going to do is in 1843. This French scientist writes an article in French about the analytical engine. And Ada Lovelace, who can speak French, of course, because she's a well-educated woman of the 1800s, agrees to translate the article into English. In the course of translating this article, she realizes there are some mistakes, and she decides she's going to correct these mistakes. And as she's correcting the mistakes, the article's getting longer and longer, and more and more of her work, and less and less of the original author's work. Babbage realizes this, and he's like, hey, maybe you should include a footnote of your own thoughts about the machine as part of this article. And Ada Lovelace is like, yeah, okay, cool. I'd love to write my own footnote. And this footnote is going to be three times as long as the original article. And it's a footnote that Ada Lovelace is the most famous for. And I'm going to do my best to try to explain the footnote, but I am simply a humble English major who minored in history and has never taken a single computer science class, so I might be totally wrong. Basically, Ada Lovelace's footnote is the clearest explanation that exists to how this analytical engine would work. In the footnote, she really beautifully compares the analytical engine to weaving machines and says that instead of weaving cloth, the engine would weave algebraic patterns. And the most famous section of the footnote is a section known as Note G. In Note G, she explains how the analytical engine could calculate a sequence known as Bernoulli numbers. Note G is essentially the first ever computer program. It showed that the analytical engine could calculate something if it was programmed to do so. Note G is the first full set of instructions that a computing device could use to calculate something that it had never calculated before. Apparently, that's huge. That's like the basis of computer programming. And in addition to creating computer programming, Footnote G is really beautifully written. Here is an excerpt from the footnote. Quote, a new, a vast, and a powerful language is developed for the future use of analysis in which to wield its truths so that these may become of more speedy and accurate practical application for the purposes of mankind than the means hitherto in our possessions have rendered possible. Thus, not only the mental and the material, but the theoretical and the practical in the mathematical world are brought into more intimate and effective connection with each other." End quote. I don't know about you guys, but if my math and science textbooks had been written like that, I would have enjoyed math class a whole lot more. And Ada Lovelace does more than just explain the analytical engine and its purpose and how to program it in this footnote. She also suggests other uses for the engine. She says that it could do things besides math. She says, hey, maybe we could use engines like this to create music, to create patterns, to create graphics. And guess what? Modern day computers have been used to do 
all of these things. Lastly, she argues that things like the analytical engine aren't actually artificial intelligence because these computing devices aren't actually doing anything new, just what they're being told to do, and the argument about whether or not computers are artificial intelligence or not is a debate best left to someone more knowledgeable on the topic than myself. However, there is controversy about if Ada Lovelace's contributions in this footnote and note G actually matter and how important they are. Some historians think that either she didn't write the footnote at all or that she did but was just copying down what Charles Babbage told her to write or that Babbage had already prepared this footnote and she was just transcribing it or that she was completely out of her mind and mentally unstable and high on drugs when she was writing the footnote so we should totally discount it because it's not like oh I don't know Nikola Tesla or Isaac Newton were paragons of mental stability. Most of this belief is based on a single thesis from 1990 by a man who is now dead and can no longer defend himself, so I'm not saying the idea that Ada Lovelace should be discounted as sexist, but hello sexism. As a quick little debunking of this theory. Okay, here it goes. Yes, Ada Lovelace probably did have some input from Babbage when she was working on the footnote and note G. After all, the two had a very long correspondence and he did serve as a mentor to her. However, documentation makes it pretty clear that note G was hers. It was her ideas. She wrote the program. She came up with the math to write the program. Also, in letters to men from the time, Babbage said that Ada Lovelace was a genius and that she was smarter and better at math than almost any man that he met. So even Babbage was like, yeah, she did this. Shut up. Don't say that she didn't. I personally think Ada Lovelace is responsible for this. And a lot of this, oh no, her input doesn't really matter, is part of this long-standing trend of attempting to erase women out of history, which is super annoying. Nowadays, most people do recognize Ada Lovelace if they know who she is. Obviously, not as many people know about her as should. For example, the Department of Defense created a software language named after her and still uses it. There's a day called Ada Lovelace Day that's celebrated every October, and the purpose of Ada Lovelace Day is to get women more and more involved in STEM fields. And then finally, and in my opinion most excitingly, in 2017, there was a Google Doodle in her honor that Google like promoted for International Women's Day, and I think that just shows the full circle so nicely. Ada Lovelace wrote the first computer program in Google, which is like one of the biggest computer-based companies on the planet, made a doodle for her. So that's her big contribution to computing. What about the rest of her life? Sadly, it's not that long. In 1852, Ada Lovelace starts getting sick. It turns out that she had uterine cancer, and in the 1850s, that was a death sentence. During her sickness, she ends up getting estranged from her husband and much closer to her mother, who pushed her to become more and more religious, which she kind of did. 
She also used various mind-altering drugs to deal with the pain of uterine cancer, but none of the drugs super worked because, welcome to the 1850s, we don't really have effective painkillers then. Ada Lovelace ended up dying on November 17, 1852, at the age of 36. She was the same age as her father was when he died, and she is buried next to her father, Lord Byron, in Nottingham. So, for those listeners who prefer bullet points to a full lecture, here is a quick recap of Ada Lovelace. Ada Lovelace is the daughter of notorious poet and piece of shit, Lord Byron, and his wife, Annabella Mobank. Her parents separated almost immediately after her birth, and she was raised solely by her mother. Her mother was a very intellectual woman and wanted the same for Ada. Ada is going to have an impressive education, although it's going to be pretty light in the humanities. As a result, she's going to be a really curious child. For example, when she's 13, she tries to make her own flying machine that tragically fails. Everything changes when Ada is 17. She meets creator of the difference machine, Charles Babbage, and the two quickly bond over their love of math. They will be friends for the rest of their life and will exchange letters about math and the potential of these machines to do complex equations quickly and accurately. Ada Lovelace ends up getting married, she becomes a countess, she's going to get into some scandals over possible affairs as well as gambling, but in 1843 she's going to help Charles Babbage raise money for a new machine, the analytical engine, which is much fancier and much more complex than the difference machine and never actually gets built. In the process, Ada Lovelace is going to be asked to translate an article about the engine. She writes an additional footnote that's three times longer than the article itself. And in this footnote, Ada Lovelace writes the first ever computer program, almost a hundred years before computers are even invented. Not too shabby. Some people might argue that Ada Lovelace's contribution to computer programming doesn't matter all that much, but guess what? They're wrong and they're sexists. Sadly, Ada Lovelace doesn't live that much longer after the computer programming. She ends up dying at the age of 36 of uterine cancer in 1852. So, that's Ada Lovelace. I think she's pretty well known as an early woman in STEM, even though there were a lot of women in STEM before her. But her life outside of Charles Babbage is also really interesting. For my research, I mostly used the James Essinger book, Ada's Algorithm, the Ada Lovelace chapter from the anthology A Passion for Science, Tales of Discovery and Invention, and Betsy Murray's article in The New Yorker, Ada Lovelace, The First Tech Visionary. If you want to see a complete bibliography, as well as relevant images, you can visit the website at sadgirlstudyguides.com. The next episode is going to be about Lord Byron's bro, Percy Shelley. Until then, if you have questions, comments, or concerns, you can email the podcast at sadgirlstudyguides at gmail.com. As always, check us out on social media. There's the Twitter at sadgirlstudypod. And for dank memes, there's the Instagram at 
Sad Girl Study. You already know about the Patreon if you're listening to this. Patreon.com slash Sad Girl Study Guides. And as always, the best way to help the podcast grow is to tell a friend and to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. And let me know how I'm doing. Rate and review the podcast or else I'll be sad. Thank you.